With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Cinnamon rolls and chili on a crisp November day. In the heart of football season, Thanksgiving's on its way. Mashed potatoes, turkeys, green beans not from cans. The Bosco boys are thankful for our diehard bonehead fans. Boom, the boys are back, and it is another K-State win. K-State currently sitting at 8-3, and three, and sure enough, one win away from playing in Arlington that first Saturday in December. We're going to worry about talking about that. Uh, we'll, we'll save that for a little bit. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, yes, we'll have an episode dropping on Thanksgiving and Friday talk. But today we are here to talk about K-State West Virginia. Now... People who have been listening to Bosco's Boys from the start know that there is this funny little thing where I've had my dad on to record after the K-State West Virginia game. It was pre-scheduled twice, and both those games were disappointing, ugly losses. I, I, I think he knew I was going to be in Topeka recording this episode because we have our first of any family holiday get-togethers today on this Sunday after the game. But I didn't tell him I was going to ask him to record, uh, so maybe that is the jinx. So I'm going to welcome on probably, what, probably top five most recurring guests, maybe number four. Uh, it's the man, the myth, the legend. Uh, my dad, one of my favorite, probably the only person I truly enjoy watching K-State games with, Kevin McFarland. Dad, Kevin, whatever the boneheads want to call you, uh, welcome back. How's it feel to talk into a microphone after K-State beat West Virginia? Well, it's very, very nice. I tell you, the last couple times when I did do those recaps, that was painful. Well, I think the first time, and it might have been the first time, or your second appearance all time. Uh, was after the K-State West Virginia game, and I told you you were going to do it, and you were taking notes the entire game. I don't think you really enjoyed watching that game as much. Well, no, taking notes after you're getting your tail kicked like that was uh, that was like being back in in college algebra. <laughs> well, I think you're probably selling yourself short. I'm sure you did better in college algebra than K-State did in that game. I think that was back in the 2018 season. Um or maybe it was 19. I can't remember which one it was, but it was not a pretty game. Uh, before we get into it, I'll just say this for the boneheads right now. Uh, there, there might be some smoke coming out of Nebraska about a certain topic. We're not talking about this on that show. If you want to hear about that, I'm sure there's some folks in Nebraska who are talking about it. I wouldn't worry about it too much at this point. But hey, if stuff starts heating up, we'll have an emergency episode. But I'm not worried about it one bit right now. Let's just get into the game. Uh, Dad, going into this game, I was nervous. Uh, you know, you and I actually saw a uh, the game that started the losing streak versus the West Virginia Mountaineers back in 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I, I was nervous all week for it. What were your nerves going into this week? Were you thinking, hey, we're going to get it done? Or were you thinking, shit, the Mountaineers seem to have our number? Well, I had some concern, and I was nervous about it because it's a road game in the Big 12, and they've played well at home against some good teams. So I never thought it was in the bag. I thought if we played our game on all three phases, I, I felt like, and if we didn't turn the ball over, I felt like we had a really good chance of winning on the road. Yeah, and that quarterback, Garrett Green, he was the he, he won the Big 12 Player of the Week last week, and I was nervous for him. And every, There were some folks, I'm, I'm not going to call out any names, cough, cough, the good chef Andre Napier, who were trying to say not to be worried about him, but he ended up having a good game. Uh, we won't talk about that, but just as a whole, this team, uh, with that win, tied the 1998 team and the 2012 team with four road conference victories. What is it about this team that just seems to be able to get it done on the road in some of these real gritty games? Well, they're road dogs. Uh, they've proven it. And, you know, hearing some of the players talk afterwards, uh, that topic was brought up, and I thought it was kind of interesting. And, it, and I thought, you know, being at home, uh, especially when you're on defense versus being on the road, totally different environments. And especially the defenders, it's not – is loud and raucous, obviously, when they're on the road uh, because they're trying to be quiet for their uh, home team offense. So I thought that might be a dynamic. And I think other uh, another thing to keep in mind is some players just love it when they're getting peppered with insults and, and fans and students yelling at them. And it's just like, well, okay, I'll show you. So this this team has a lot of dog in them. Yeah, I, I think that this team has like a little bit of movie villain in them a little bit too. I think they have a little bit more edge, a little bit more swagger that we've probably that we've maybe ever seen at K-State with football. And, and it's like, all right, hey, we're not trying to be the good guys. We're okay being the bad guys. We're mm -hmm. okay being the villains. And I think that's an interesting dynamic. I don't think we've ever seen at K-State. Well, in, you know, do you think there's more pressure playing at home sometimes? I, I mean, I, I wouldn't think so. Uh, but, you know, it, it's something to throw out there to see. I mean, some players may just feel like, oh, I'm at home in front of the family and friends and everything. It's maybe a little more pressure. I don't know. Maybe, but, you know, I, I'm not sure. Hopefully they are not feeling that next week. But, again, we'll, we'll talk about that next week. Let's just get into talking about the offense. Um, something that I think has really started to come uh, to fruition is Colin Klein as a play caller, especially in the passing game. It seems like early on they're always trying to set something up that happens later in the game. And some of these passing routes, especially when we'll talk about it later, Ben Sennett has another big game. Almost every big play he had, they were showing the replay. Deuce Vaughn was drawing one or two defenders off to the side with him uh, to open him up down the field. What do you think about Colin Klein and his evolution as a play caller this entire season? I think it's really evolved from the very uh, first couple games versus where we are now. He is a, a master uh, uh, pass-oriented uh, uh, play caller. You're exactly right to be able to uh, to be able to uh, create the matchups that will create like one-on-one -on -one matchups uh, that and and quite frankly, Will Howard can you know zip the ball right in a small window. And uh, he, he, that, that kid has ice water in his veins. Yeah, let's, let's just jump right to the quarterback. Um, ironically enough, I think if you look at the stats of games that he has played 
uh, a lot. So this was his fourth game. I think it probably was his worst stat line, um, believe it or not. And it still was a pretty good stat line, a stat line that I think we'll take, most fans would take almost every single week. 19 of 27, 294 yards, uh, two touchdowns. His QBR was his low on the year, 87.6. Uh, one touchdown, and it was uh, averaging 10.9 yards per attempt. He also had four carries for six yards along of 13. Um, there's something about him. You say it, the ice water in his veins, the confidence he has. And I want to specifically talk about one throw. It was the touchdown to uh, Mr. Senate, who, again, maybe another player of the week type of performance. Um, he just lasered it in there. That was a throw that... Adrian Martinez wouldn't have made. That's a throw that Skylar Thompson wouldn't have attempted either because those guys were so risk-averse. There's something about, like you said, ice water in his veins, the confidence Will Howard's having, that he's saying, no, I can make that throw. And then sure enough, more times than not, he is. What what did you think about that throw specifically and the confidence that that kid is carrying? Well, uh, that was the perfect example of what I was talking about with uh, Will having ice water in his veins. Um, coverage was actually pretty good, but it was a one-on-one, uh, it was one-v-one coverage, man-to-man coverage. And uh, he just, he knew where Senate was gonna be and he put it right where only Senate was gonna catch it. And he has so much confidence in Senate right now. I mean, he's gonna make that throw and he's, he's gonna believe if Senate can get his hands on it, he's gonna bring it in. And he did. It yeah, it, great it, catch, yes. great throw and catch. It, it, it was the perfect one. And then something else that I, I've noticed about Will Howard beyond uh, some of those, hey, I, I believe I can throw a football through a you know, you know a needle head or whatever. I don't know anything about needles. Needle hole, eye, I, needle eye. There we go. See, I should have paid a little bit more attention to uh, the home economics class I had to take in eighth grade. I didn't do it either. Uh, Well, you're just smarter than me, but I don't think that's uh, news to anyone who might be listening. Uh, Something that he also does perfectly, whenever they're doing these kind of hitch routes or some of these routes, specifically to a guy like Malik Knowles, he knows exactly where to put it because Malik Knowles, if he gets the ball and has even a second to try to make a guy miss. I like his chances. Uh, There's something about the chemistry between those two specifically. Everyone talks about Ben Sennett and Will Howard. What about the connection he seems to have with Malik Knowles? Because people forget, you know, Malik Knowles was the leading receiver that 2020 season where Will Howard had to play a lot. Yeah, well, and I tell you what, uh, uh, Malik has really come into his own. He really looks like he should be playing on Sundays next year. Um, And... You're right, and I also think they've got something going there with like back shoulder throws to the sideline, whatever. Mm -hmm. If he just got one guy on him, he can just juke him one way, and then, boy, just tight ropes the sideline all the way down for the score. And and getting back to Senate as well, another throw that you you might remember, you remember a crossing route to Senate where he he looped it over the front defender, and there was a defender behind him as well, yep. and just dropped it right in perfectly. I think that was Senate, wasn't it? Uh, well, so there was, was one Wheeler? to Senate, but there was one to Wheeler okay. as well, where he he stood in there, and this is this is I think where Will Howard has taken the biggest jump, and something that I was critical of, and kind of why I uh, justified saying it was the right move to have. Uh, 
Adrian Martinez versus Texas, he is having more pocket poison. He has kind of gotten uh, you know out of some trouble a few times, but there was that play to, uh, to Sammy Wheeler where he did. He just dropped it in a bucket. It was just staring down defenders, and he made that throw. Uh, he does just kind of have that poise in him. You know, he doesn't have that... Uh, you know, Patrick Mahomes, like Adrian Martinez type thing where, okay, I can get out of trouble. I can run around. I can either pick it up with my feet or uh, scramble, drill, throw. But he does kind of have that uh, kind of Skylar Thompson post-injury last year where he's saying, hey, I will stand in this pocket. I know I'm going to get hit and I'm going to make the play. Um, That is maybe the biggest uh, difference between Will Howard this year and Will Howard in the past. Yeah, And, and he is taking some hits. Uh, and he's willing to take that hit, but he's got so much poise to go ahead and make the, the proper throw. I just hope he stays upright and, and he doesn't get too banged up here going down the home stretch. Yes. Uh, final thing on Will Howard, at least from me, uh, which is a little bit of Colin Klein as well. Uh, K-State fans saw one of the old familiar formations, Jesse Ertz's favorite formation. I call it the clown car formation. I don't know what you call it, but it was the old rugby scrum where we had, uh, you know, extra linemen, three big running backs, and they basically said, all right, Will Howard, I hope you're wearing your back brace because we're going to just ram into the back of you. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you saw Will Howard's face coming out of that pile, I think he was happy he got the touchdown, but I don't think he likes that play very much. No, he he looked like he got laid on pretty heavily, you know. So, yeah, it's it's like the bunk bed uh, formation. I don't know what with the with the top bunk coming down on top on the bottom bunk. I think it was, yeah. He didn't he didn't look he looked uh, kind of red in the face. Yes, uh, but hey, a touchdown is a touchdown. Uh, actually, I lied. I I, I am going to bring this up because. Um, while Will Howard still had a great game, I think most fans sign up for that stat line no matter what. He did throw that pick six, and then I think specifically to that fourth down play where we went for it late in the game where he just completely airmailed it out of bounds, didn't give Ben Sennett a chance to make the play. So my question to you, and I think I know the answer, is do you have any concern with that pick six? Because, again, it was one of those risky throws um, that it, for the first time this season didn't work out. He had another one that, hey, they dropped the interception. And then, again, on a fourth down, not in a crucial point, but a fourth down nonetheless, just airmailed it out of bounds. Do you have any concern with uh, you know those plays moving forward with the final regular season game and hopefully Big 12 championship looming? I, I really don't. I'd rather see him have the confidence to, to make most of the any throw that he, he feels is at, is presents itself for a reception and uh, what I'm more impressed with was how he reacted to the pick six didn't he didn't he didn't bat an eye he forgot about it as soon as it happened I think and he went right back out there and was uh, about his business and he was kind of a gunslinger I thought yep no and and again Chris Kleiman was asked about it by Stan I think in the post game and Chris Stan said, what do you say to Will Howard after that pick six? And Chris Clement said, I didn't say anything. The kid has confidence, and I'm not worried about it. So that's where I'm at as well. But, again, it, it was uh, worth saying because, at again, at a moment where uh, you think that you have control of the game, that kind of did put it back into peril. Um, let's move into the running backs. And it was an interesting game from the running backs. You had two touchdowns coming from Deuce Vaughn and DJ the Blue Jay Giddens. Uh, Deuce Vaughn, 22 carries, 
uh, 67 yards, that one touchdown. DJ Giddens, 12 carries, 78 yards. And for the first time in a game where Will Howard was featured heavily, Deuce Vaughn gets nothing in the passing game. Let's start with Deuce Vaughn. Um, I thought it was going to be a massive game from Deuce early on when he had that touchdown. I believe it was a 15-yard touchdown, wasn't mm-hmm. touched, uh, got in the end zone. Um, really never got going after that. Um, what did you see from uh, the running game, especially when Deuce was the one carrying the ball? Well, they still were committed to it, which I, I think you have to. That uh, I think that is just part of the DNA of our offense is that you know we're, we're going to we're going to run the ball, and uh, I think I think their defense actually had a pretty good scheme to to take a good deal of that away. Uh, there were still a couple of big plays, and, and I thought Giddens actually showed something in the latter part of the game because even when something wasn't really there, he would, he would pound forward for three, four yards and carry tacklers that extra yard or two, which was critical when we're trying to you know, kill the clock. Yeah, I, I think, uh, first off, I absolutely <clears throat> loved uh, DJ Giddens, his run. It was the long of the game, 49 yards, and that's where over half of his yards came. But uh, you, you made a good point, and it's something that Chris Kleiman either called out this past Tuesday or the Tuesday before about DJ Giddens remembering he's good at football and he can move a pile forward. And I think that that has created a nice little dynamic uh, indifference with Deuce because Deuce is miraculous at not taking a loss, but he's not going to move a pile forward. That is something that DJ Giddens possesses. Yeah, I think so too. And and Deuce, it looked like he had a couple of run opportunities where he did get to the second level and was trying to you know do his patented juke and and spin move, and he did he wasn't able to to fake out the uh, tackler. Yeah. Credit to West Virginia because I, I think that their uh, defensive front six, uh, they're very good. They're disciplined, and they, they made their tackles count. Yep. All right, let's move into let, – let's talk about the offensive line. We'll go out of order just a little bit because I think it goes hand-in-hand hand with the running game. Uh, I, I thought it was a little bit of hot and cold for them at a couple times. You could see that they did execute uh, – almost to a T on a couple of those running plays. But once again, I think the interior of the offensive line on occasion uh, just kind of struggles a bit, especially if there's a dynamic nose guard. Um, How would you grade out the offensive line when you look back at the game yesterday? Well, I mean, I I, I actually took a little time and kind of focused on the line a few times. And there were some pretty, I I thought, pretty creative plays uh, where we had two linemen pulling. Uh, I, and it look, they, look, they look pretty quick going across the back of the line to find, the, find their uh, blocking assignments. Um, but I, I, think, I think I'd grade them fairly average. Uh, certainly not above average, but uh, you know, I did think they gave Will some time even though he took some hits when he was passing downfield, but I, I thought they pass protected fairly well. Yeah, if you go back and watch the uh, DJ Giddens big run, uh, there was a puller, and I'm trying to pull up the uh, the clip to see who it was. But he, that is the one thing about this offensive line that I absolutely love. I think that there are at times 
where the uh, interior offensive line especially kind of struggles if they're just trying to go head-to-head with a good offensive or good defensive line. But where I think that they maybe are one of the best offensive lines in the entire uh, nation and probably the top one in the conference is if they can get a clean pull right around. And if you get those guys up on a defensive back or even a linebacker in a one-on-one, I feel like they're executing those blocks very well this season. One thing I uh, I don't know if you recall, but we were in the red zone and there was a shotgun snap that was really poor. Yes, that that, uh, that hit looked like it almost hit uh, Will's right shin. I mean, it was way low and to the right, mm-hmm. and we recovered it, but we had a huge loss right then. Yeah, that that was Hayden Gillum on the snap, but I, I just found the clip. He was the one who actually it was the center pulling who got out there and sprung DJ Giddens out mm-hmm. on that big run. Um, so again, I, I do think that that is something that's been in the climbing era uh, with Gillum and then Noah Johnson. I think those are mobile guys who can actually pull as a center, which is very tough to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but they do at on occasion uh, have a wayward snap. And if they're going up against a very elite uh, or even above average nose guard, they'll struggle. But again, mm-hmm. uh, I'll take the good with the bad because that poll was great. Let's talk about Ben Sennett before we end the offensive talk with the wide receivers. And we can throw Sammy Wheeler a bone as well because yeah. he made a great catch as well. I don't think he's living up to maybe some of the expectations some of us put on him. But I think Ben Sennett is blowing away mm-hmm. all the expectations I had for yeah. him. I mean, he looks almost like Gronkowski out there with the you know with the elbow brace and all that type of stuff. I think mm-hmm. he's only an inch shorter than him. Um, he's a weapon that has taken this offense to the next level over the last handful of weeks. How pleased are you to see him following up with another massive game, going over 80 yards and getting into pay dirt once again? Well, he's turned into quite a weapon. I remember early in the season uh, when it seemed like, and when Adrian was was uh, quarterbacking. And he would he would throw to Senate, you know, occasionally. And Senate would be on these these you know wheel routes, yeah, and... these these long long plays. And I'm just like, why in the world are we throwing to this guy? Now I know. I mean, uh, he has turned into just a, a tremendous weapon. He gets really good matchups out there, and he can catch the ball. Yeah, it, it, he really had that big game uh, versus Oklahoma. Kind of went quiet for a little bit with one play here or there, but he he really is kind of turning into a true weapon that defenses are having to account for. We saw that if if defenses are going to allocate two guys to Deuce Vaughn, that's going to leave Ben Sennett either open or one-on-one with a guy who he can just body out, and once he catches it uh, or gets his hand on it, he's very sure-handed. Yeah. And then he had another one of those plays, not quite at the Oklahoma level, mm-hmm. but he had it in the middle of the field, and it took like seven guys to bring him down. Yeah. Uh, how much fun does that you know, cause for just like a football fan? I, I kind of think about it, you know, especially at a home game. You see mm-hmm. like one of these scrums going where either one of your guys drags seven of them for an extra three yards, mm-hmm. or when the offensive line just comes and shoves everyone forward for another mm-hmm. three how much energy does that give you as a fan? And can you imagine how pumped that would make you if you see one of your teammate taking on seven of the other guys? Yeah, well, I, I, it does. It inspires, you know, the, the teammate, gets the crowd really fired up. Uh, I I love those kind of plays. And he's, he's you know, I guess we'll, we'll 
we'll talk about game balls and stuff like that later. So I will, I will not give away any of my picks just yet. But, yes, uh, yes. But he, he definitely is yeah. going to – spoiler alert. If, if you're not giving him one, the boneheads are going to give him – well, he, he is going to be getting a game ball. But his, his uh, stat line was three receptions for 85 yards – uh, and one touchdown along the 39. Again, it's not even like he's a guy who's racking up these yards on a lot of catches. He is just a straight up big play maker. Yeah, he is. And, and uh, we're lucky to have him, quite honestly. And especially the way Will throws the ball around, he, he targets a lot of different people, you know, and uh, Senate's one of his faves. Yeah, so Ben Sennett on the year has 25 catches, 356 yards, three touchdowns. He had 80 yards versus Oklahoma, 44 yards in the loss versus Texas, but 89 versus Baylor and 85 versus West Virginia. It's not mind-blowing statistics, but you remember his catches. Yeah, well, I mean, I, they're big plays. I mean, I, but if you think about it, like for, for K-State tight ends or fullbacks, H-backs, however you want to qualify them as – it's not like we have a ton of like a long roster of guys who are pitting up big stats. This is going to go down as one of the better years for a K State tight end. Yeah, and I think it's uh, it makes a big difference when you have a uh, you know a a significant passing uh, attack um, that that you deploy in, in your offensive game. I mean, we're pretty we're pretty balanced. I yes. Mean, and I and when you've got tight ends to throw to, I mean, it's just another weapon out there. Yeah, when, when you uh, talk about that, Sammy Wheeler actually had two catches for 44 yards. But if you look at the pass catchers, Malik Knowles, six catches. Ben Sennett, three catches. Sammy Wheeler, two catches. Philly Brooks, four. And Cade Warner, four. Again, it was a pretty equal distribution amongst those five guys. Yeah, that's uh, that, that means we'll see in the field. Yes, and almost had a big play to R.J. Garcia that probably should have been a pass interference, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll still wait. I, yeah. I think R.J. Garcia has one big surprise play, whether it's next week, hopefully the Big 12 championship game or the bowl game. I think R.J. Garcia is going to like score a 60-yard touchdown on a wheel route, but we'll, we'll talk about that later. Let's get into the wide receivers. I think you have to start with Malik Knowles. It's his third game this year going up over 100 yards. Uh, six catches, got into the end zone after getting so close. I mean, I feel like he gets tackled at the one-yard line more than anyone in the world. I was so happy he was able to get into the end zone. Six touchdowns, 111 yards. And again, those two big plays, he had a 43-yard reception. I think he had another one that was up around 35 yards. Uh, it's not like he's like a, he's catching like these deep, long balls or anything like that. It's a 10-yard out, and then he's like, nope, I'm going to make you look like a fool and then it's off to the races. Yard after yards after catch, he was really, really good. Possessed the ball well and was able to shake a single defender. Yeah, that play that uh, the, the touchdown that got called back that his knee was down uh, beforehand. Man, I don't think. I, I mean, I know they reviewed that, but I don't know. They they didn't they didn't have a angle. I, I think they should have definitive. called it a touchdown on the yeah. field, but. Well, and but boy, did he he worked really hard. I mean, he really tried to get into that end zone. I thought he had it, but uh, yeah, that was uh, that was unfortunate that he didn't get that one. But the you know the the tightrope down the sideline where he juked uh, the defender that was just pure beauty. I mean, he he really uh, and he he really looks like he's got great speed out there too in the open field. Yeah, so he does have his best year receiving. Uh, 
of his career, 44 receptions for 669 yards, two touchdowns. He does have the two rushes, including that touchdown, the very first play of the game. Again, I, I think this is the Malik Knowles we always hoped we would see. Um, and you mentioned it. He's a guy who could uh, find himself playing on Sundays next year. That's what we're starting to see. Um, is it just a combination of, okay, he is a veteran player and staying healthy, or is there anything else that you could attribute this career season uh, to Malik Knowles? Well, I think it's mainly being healthy uh, and just being you know a, a senior in, in a system now for – see, this is the fourth year for – Yep, fourth year for Chris yeah, Kleiman. Yeah, so – I, I think I think uh, I think those factors contribute. You know, one thing that he really looks like a natural is returning kickoffs. Well, as well. speaking of returning kickoffs, this game he looked. Like, he had the one big one that he got to the forty, but he, every single time he looked like he was just a microsecond away from taking it to the house. Yeah, and I I really think uh, our kick return team is really functioning well right now. I think they're they're getting blocks. The Malik is almost always making it to what I would call the second level, where if you break through that, you're gone. Yeah, and, you know, and that's and a big upgrade from the Texas game because yes. there was actually a lot of talk amongst K-State fans, and Chris Climos even asked about it in his press conference in between the Texas and the Baylor game about, hey, do you have to rethink about how often you come out of the end zone? Um, but I think when you have a guy like uh, Malik Knowles, and if you spend the amount of time on special teams – um, that you just have to trust your guys to go out there and make plays. Well, West Virginia wasn't kicking it that deep. No, they, they were I mean, not. It, many times it wasn't even getting to the goal line. Yeah, but. I think something was wrong with their kicker, but uh, you know, everyone should listen to the raspy voice kids yeah. on the 1012 network to get more information on that. His nickname is Bum Leg, isn't it? <laughs> it might be after <laughs> yesterday. It might be after yesterday. So, again, I think Malik Knowles is – uh, the, the superstar amongst the wide receivers. But again, we, we saw the distribution um, in Phillip Brooks, Cade Warner, both grabbing four. Phillip Brooks for 38 yards. Cade Warner only 16 yards. One of those he had a loss on. Yep. So that kind of brought his stats down. Phillip Brooks, I think, has really turned into just a solid, what we what you'd call as a slot receiver. Yep. Um, just a dependable type of guy. And, and again, he's someone who's been around for a while what did you see from Philip Brooks in that game, and what have you made from his uh, season so far? Well, you mentioned dependable. That's the first thing that came to my mind. Is and and I don't know. I don't follow the wide receivers. It, when you're watching on television, you you can't really focus on the receivers too often, except for you know their initial moves mm-hmm. when they first take off from the uh, line of scrimmage. So I don't know how frequently Brooks is able to get open, but when he does get open and he's targeted, he always catches the ball. He's not a big yards uh, after catch guy. No, and he's not a he, he's not what I'd call a burner necessarily, but uh, he is dependable. No, he, he's fast enough, and he does go down. He uh, currently uh, he's ten receptions and ninety yards behind his pace last year. Um, for his career year, he has 33 catches for 457 yards, three touchdowns. So, and again, hopefully, we're, we're hoping to see at least three more games. So maybe he can uh, surpass that year he had last year. And then we'll go to Cade Warner. 
He really was the security blanket for Adrian Martinez. Um, not a massive game, but again, I think Cade this year has more than surpassed what I anticipated him doing. Um, what did you think about Cade? And also, you know, what did you expect from him this season? I, I assume you, he's surpassed what we thought he would. Yeah, he surpassed what I thought he was going to bring. Uh, but Cade, I think he makes the the most out of his opportunities. I mean, when he when he gets targeted, again, he's going to catch the ball. Like you said, he did have that one reception for a loss. But uh, you look at the whole uh, receiver room, and you throw the tight ends in there as well. That's a pretty solid, you know, not not any not just any one superstar, but just a solid, dependable group that you can count on to catch the ball and and run good routes and block downfield. They, well, and they, Cade Warner actually leads the team in receiving touchdowns. Excuse me, with five receiving touchdowns. Oh, wow. So I didn't I, know that. I didn't know it either. I was pulling up all, all the stats. And so he's leading the team with five receiving touchdowns, although Ben Sennett and Malik Knowles are, uh, you know, breathing down his neck. Um, so that kind of wraps up the offense. Any other final thoughts? Again, 48 points. Um, uh, scored in that game. Again, there was a pick six, but uh, overall just a pretty good performance. Well, I, better than pretty good. That is the tied for the most uh, raw points uh, mm-hmm. with the Oklahoma State game of 48. So any final words on the offense? Well, I think for the most part, when you score that many points, uh, including a pick six, um, you know, you got to feel good about the offensive performance. I wouldn't say we were able to do whatever we wanted. Obviously, we would have wanted to be a little uh, more proficient in the running game. But pretty much beyond that, I have to give the overall offensive performance pretty high marks. Yeah, it it was very good. Let's move on to uh, the other side of the ball, which at least in the first half struggled a little bit. But before we do, remember, we are brought to you by Manhattan Brewing Company. The next time you guys are in Manhattan, we got one more home football game and then the entire, well, not the entire, but still quite a few, the vast majority of Jerome Tang basketball games, or if you live in the happiest city in America, check out Manhattan Brewing Company. They always have between like 10 and 15 different beers. And I promise you, if you say, oh, I don't like craft beer, they will have something that you like. If you're someone who is all about IPAs, they're going to have that malty stuff. They have that sour stuff. They have they have it all. So go in there, grab a couple pints on tap, the freshest beer in the state of Kansas, and then get a couple crowlers and four packs to go. And the next time you go to a liquor store, if they don't have Manhattan Brewing Company in their craft beer section, tell them to, damn it. All right, let's get to... What would be the beer Ooh. What would be the beer I would like from Manhattan Brewing Oh, you Company? would love their 785 Lager, which we actually have some downstairs. Uh, the Towny Wheat, which also oh. I anointed as the tailgate beer of the year. You would also love that one because... Again, you're, you're not going to be an IPA guy, nope. but you would like those. And I, I think those and maybe even the conservation Kolsch, so stuff on the lighter, crisper end, I think you would like. But I think 785 Lager would be your favorite. Okay. All right, let's get into the defense because um, at least in the first half, um, not ideal, I think we could say. Um because uh, well, we'll start with the macro negatives first. Um, I, I, I'm a little bit, I was a little bit concerned in that first half. Um, they seemed to, after those first, uh, that first pick six, seemed to move the ball almost at will for at, or at different points in that game. Um, what was your concern level in the moment? And now 
that the game is over, looking back on that, uh, what would you say your concern is? Well, I, I thought there were too many uh, receivers that got behind our defenders. Um, and I think – uh, I think part of that might have been that we, we had some, some guys playing that weren't experienced. And, uh, but I, I don't know. They, they were able to get, get, uh, get their receivers running behind our uh, safeties and cornerbacks and were able to complete the deep ball. Uh, happened more than once. They had a couple of touchdowns in the first half, I think, that were deep throws. And I didn't like that. Um, and... At that point, too, you also have to look at the pass rush and were we getting in Green's grill, you know, uh, to disrupt that. But he had free looks down downfield. So, uh, yeah, I, I had some concern early on. I didn't know if we'd be able to win a shootout. Yeah, it, it, it was concerning. And, again, I, I was worried about Green all week. Um, and I think when you have Kobe Savage, who's become that leader, that alpha dog on the defense down for the season – and then it sounds like, and I haven't heard an update, Sincere Mason going down early in that game after the pick six as well. Um, I am a little bit worried looking forward into the next two or three games um, about safety depth, about the safety health. Um, but I think we saw, and let's transition into the good, Joe Klanderman um, seems to be able to dial up something in the second half if the first half wasn't working, this is the second time this season where, uh, you know, including the Texas game where we kind of give up almost anything that the off the other team wants in the first half and then pretty much shut them down in the second half. Um, what can you say about the game planning uh, for Joe Klanderman and especially in some of these games where he's able to get those second half adjustments? Yeah, it was really clear that Klanderman did a good job at halftime. Um, one of the things I was kind of looking at was uh, the pass pass rush in the second half and the th one of the things I like about a three-man front is that you can you can be creative with uh, even if you're going to just rush four you're not exactly sure who who that fourth rusher is going to be and uh, I I was kind of watching that in the second half and I thought he got a little creative on on the fourth man rushing the the passer and I thought they did a good job yeah and they dialed up I think more stunts than I've seen uh, in a long time uh, there was one time where, credit to West Virginia, where we did stunt and they, they must have saw it coming or got lucky with the play call because we stunted. Their offensive lineman just kind of pushed them out of the way and opened up a big hole. But you know what? That just happens in uh, college football. And their uh, uh, offensive coordinator, whose name I'm starting to bl – I'm blanking on. He was the former Texas – Graham Harrell. Uh, their offensive coordinator, he was the mastermind be behind Seth Luttrell's, uh, you know, rise to fame at North Texas. He actually went to USC as an offensive coordinator, um, and now he's at West Virginia. He's a smart offensive mind. Mm -hmm. West Virginia has a good offense. So I I'm coming out of the game like, eh, I wish – you always want a shutout, but my concern level is not very high. No, I'm not, I'm not either. Uh, I, I just wish we could – you know, get healthy across across the board. We've got some really good, talented defensive players. You know, at each level. Um, you know, I thought Daniel Green had a really good game, um, and uh, King Felix was double and triple teamed all day long. And uh, so I I do think that uh, my my concern is pretty minimal, really, going forward.
Yep. So uh, let's talk about some of the individual position groups. You talked about it, the uh, defensive line. Uh, let's start with King Felix because he, it seems like every single play he's getting double or triple teamed. Every single game or play he's being held. Um, and again, that's not. Uh, I'm sure he would love all these sacks. I'm sure he would love to have another six sack game. But being able to take that much effort and attention from an offensive line just opens it up for everyone else. And it might be, you know, outside of getting a sack, about as close to a good of outcome as you can have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I agree. And you know, he how much. Uh, how much perseverance does it take for someone like that to, oh, yeah. to, you know, have to work so hard and, you know, not give up your positions, keep your lanes and, and get double and triple teamed all game long and, and, and still just keep swinging. Yeah. And let, let's talk about the guy who did shine on the stat sheet, Brandon or Brendan millionaire Mott. That's what I call him. Because he does the Conor McGregor uh, million dollar uh, walk, I think is the name of that sack celebration where he's swinging his arms around. Three sacks in the game. I think that brings his season total up to uh, three in the game, brings him up to six total. He actually led the team with eight tackles. So it isn't just those sacks. That work rate to, to lead the team in tackles as a defensive lineman. How impressive was that game? Again, it's not the Felix first TCU mm-hmm. game, but I mean that has to be one of the top performances we've seen from a K State defensive lineman of all time. Yeah, yeah, it could have been certainly the the game of the year for for him. And uh, it, I think it's always impressive when you're you have a defensive lineman that leads the team in tackles. That 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 grades out as an A. I mean, if you're able to do that. If most of your tackles are coming on that that front line, and it's not even the the linebacker, you never want to see a safety leading your team in tackles. No, and, and that does happen, but yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it was just a great game from him. Uh, so D. Hence w- had to attend a family funeral; he was not able to go. Uso was the one backing up Eli Huggins. Uh, Uso had one tackle. It looks like uh, Eli Huggins was credited with one tackle as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a nose guard in a three-man front, that really isn't um, you know, their role. They're not ever going to be grabbing a lot of tackles. He's trying to eat up blockers. Yes, they're they're yeah. trying to eat up uh, blockers. What I saw in the second half that really led to, I think, the better pass rush and then even the better rush defense uh, Eli Huggins especially was starting to get a lot more penetration mm-hmm. in that second half. Again, he's usually not filling up the stat sheet, but that guy, uh, he, he's a monster in there. Mm-hmm. I, I'm so glad he came back for his COVID year. How important is it to have a guy that you depend uh, who can help? If Felix has taken up two guys, Eli's taking up two guys, that's why Brandon Mott right. is able to go one-on-one almost every single play. Right, yeah, that's that's exactly true. And you've got to have a dog, you know, a bulldog in the middle, you know, of that three-man line because that that's really their main job. It, they're not they're, – they're just trying to eat up as many blockers as, as possible to open it up for somebody else. You'd, you'd hope that – that maybe uh, one of those blockers that's taken up uh, Felix, you know, might be able to, you know, he might be able to take up one of those sometimes so to, to get Felix loose. But Felix has to work for everything he gets. But having Higgins right there, that helps a lot. Yes. 
Um, Jalen Pickle also got a tackle as well. Let's move into the linebackers. Daniel Green, seven tackles. Austin Moore, the machine, he was able to grab the fourth of the four tackles for a loss. Desmond Purnell, the Topeka Cat, had five tackles as well. Nick Allen, he got in there with three. Jake Clifton coming in, he got two tackles as well. Crew Jackson got one. I believe that was on kickoff coverage. And then Khalid Duke. Six tackles, mm-hmm. and he was also credited with a quarterback hurry as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, the linebackers as a whole, because I, I think it uh, kind of does some of the individual players uh, injustice if you try to just highlight one at a time. But this crew was the one that almost everyone was worried about coming into the season. Mm-hmm. I've talked about it close to 100 times at this point that when I w- was hearing Austin Moore was going to start, I was panicking. But that guy, and now with Duke, uh, with Khalid Duke now healthy, learning how to play that Sam linebacker position, and with Daniel Green now uh, being able to practice every week, this group has now gone from being maybe the biggest liability on the team to being one of the biggest strengths. What did you see from the linebackers, especially in that second half when they started getting a little bit uh, more sure tackling? Yeah, I, I actually think as a unit, they might grade out the best. Uh, of, of the defense. I thought they were all over the place. They were flying to the ball, making big hits. Um, you know, as, as a group, that, there's where most of the tackles came from, and that's what you expect to see typically, especially with a three-man mm-hmm. uh, line. Uh, and one of those guys is typically the fourth man rushing. Yep. Uh, a lot of the time it's Khalid Duke. Yeah, and so uh, uh, I thought – all in all, they probably graded out the highest on defense. I thought they were good pretty much the whole game. Yeah, and it was the second straight week where we saw Daniel Green really just eating up, getting all these tackles, playing more violently. Uh, that again, he, he I think he, I don't think there's ever been a game he's played bad, but you could tell, you know, it was a half step back from his season last year. Um, we've seen two straight weeks now where he's looking like the old Daniel Green, the old Deuce Green. Uh, that just takes this defense to a whole elevated level. And he seemed to be one of the few shining spots uh, on defense in that first half. He was the one who kind of made that over-the-line tackle on that fourth down quarterback sneak. Yeah, he, he went, he went yeah, over he went the top. up and over yeah, that, and then that grabbed, was yeah, yeah. grabbed him. So yeah. uh, that was one of the – highlights of the first half on defense it was it was there weren't a weren't a lot of defensive highlights but that that was a cool play yeah let's talk about the big defensive highlight in the first half sincere mason's pick six um you felt so good for the guy and and again in that moment you're feeling okay you know we'll be all right with kobe savage out i'm not sure exactly when he got injured um but you know having to go back down the depth chart an extra spot really hurt us. But let's just talk about that interception and pick six. Is that the most electrifying play in uh, football, a pick six? Oh, I think so. I think it's that or a blocked punt. I, I think those are the two possibilities. Yeah, blocked punt is, is – I mean, if you're talking about defensive plays, you know, I always think a, a kickoff return or a punt return for a touchdown, those are pretty, pretty awesome. But uh, – as far as defensive plays, that was and he 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 uh, he read that so perfectly and and came underneath that route, grabbed it and just and I was like, well, he's he's going in. And at first, I wasn't sure who it was, you know. Uh, and then they the announcers give them credit. They said sincere Mason, and yeah. I was like, yep, 
I love that kid. I was really, really happy that he got it in for the pick six. And I and I later in the game, I was like wondering, well, where is he? You know. And then I didn't. I, I like you. I don't know when he got hurt. Yeah, I didn't even pick up that he was injured until listening to post game when I was driving to Topeka from Shawnee. Yeah. So uh, I'm not sure when it happens. Um, we'll uh, we'll have to see. We'll have to see. Hopefully, he is back on Saturday. Um, because, again, I, I think he was the best of the safeties when he was out there. Um, Drake Cheatham, he had six tackles. Uh, Echo Boydo, four tackles. TJ Smith, three tackles. Jacob Parrish, the true freshman, three tackles. Sincere Mason had the three tackles and that interception while he was out there. Julius Brents, he had two tackles. He had the second interception. VJ Payne, two tackles. Josh Hayes, one tackle. Uh, and uh, looked like Nick Steiger got out there. He had one tackle as well. Um, let's kind of move into the bad. Um, and I, I don't usually like calling out the individual players, but I think it's tough to watch the game Josh Hayes had and not single him out as having a disappointing performance. Now, the good thing about that is he's been one of the top defensive players all year. So my my worry level is not very high, but you know he got beat. Uh, you know I think you have to give half a uh, half of the beat to Drake Cheatham on the uh, one deep one where I think Cheatham thought he was getting an interception and tripped up yep. Josh Hayes, um, but he he did uh, kind of get exposed on all three of those touchdowns. Uh, my worry level, like I said, not very high. I think he'll rebound. Um, but what were your thoughts on Josh Hayes, especially in the first half? And what, what is your worry level with him going into the Sunflower Showdown? I, I'm not really that worried. I was surprised, you know, that he he uh, got beat the way he did. He just felt seemed like he was a step or two out of position uh, or was reading the ball wrong. I, and this probably had nothing to do with it. But did you see there was a lot of transition from bright light into shadow yep. in, in that stadium? And that can happen oh, yeah. for an afternoon game. Uh, I don't know if any of that played. You know, when the ball was traveling from the maybe sunlight. on that deep one. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and that kind of I kind of wondered if that wasn't you know playing with him a little bit. But I, I really don't have. I mean, he's made some really really good plays, and he's played very solid safety. I mm-hmm. think, and I I don't, I don't have much worry. I don't yeah, I, I would like to see him keep his head up when he's going for some tackles a little bit more, but especially when it comes to coverage. I mean, he was a corner up until this year, so I'm not too worried about it. I'm chalking that up just to a bad game. Um, Julius Brents gets the interception towards the end of the game, and I think the game was probably iced out at that point, but that was his third uh, interception on the year. Uh, recent invitation to the Senior Bowl. Uh, thoughts on the game he's had and just the season Julius Brents has had. He's had a great season, I think, and uh, I was I was happy that he got that interception. I mean, it. You're right. It might have been um, iced at that point, but that was that really made you feel as a fan like, okay, we've got this now. So. Yeah. All right, and then uh, Echo Boyda almost had an interception. Uh, got got past him. Um, just what is your confidence level in the secondary as a whole? I know we talked about Josh Hayes. We talked about Sincere Mason. We have some bang-up guys uh, in, in the secondary. Um, we're going up against a team in KU that they struggled uh, on offense, but it looked like uh, Daniels started really finding uh, as much of a groove as you can get in a game like that towards the end. 
then again, if you start peaking to that uh, first Saturday in Arlington, TCU, um, we all remember what happened in the second half of that game. Um, With these two massive games looming, uh, what's your confidence level in the secondary? Well, I hope we get a couple guys healthy, and it sounds like some of the injuries that we've got are pretty significant. Um, But there have been some younger guys that have stepped in and, and, uh, and played at a pretty high level. Um, I think as a whole, I'm a, a little concerned, but I, I don't have great concern. I think, I think if we can help that room, you know, the, the safeties and the corners with, uh, we might have to bring a little more pressure, uh, you know, on the quarterback to, to help them because they kind of, it kind of goes hand in hand. Uh, but for the most part, I feel okay. I think we'll be. I think we'll be fine. All right. Before we talk for three to five minutes about how great Ty Zentner is, we're also <laughs> sponsored by Charlie Hustle. They have the most stylish and comfortable, officially licensed K-State gear. If you're cheering for the team in red on Sundays, they also have the Arrowhead Collection, the Sporting Cub Club Collection, the Crown Town Baseball Collection, and all sorts of great Kansas City landmark stuff. So if you want to be rocking the most stylish purple stuff in the Octagon of Doom and Bill Snyder family stadium, check out charliehustle.com or visit their store on the Country Club Plaza, as well as select retailers in the city of Manhattan. All right, uh, when it comes to special teams, we already talked about Malik Knowles and the, the return game. Uh, looked like he was close to busting one. I think they're going to get a kickoff or punt return for a touchdown next week. But let's talk about Ty Zentner. Um, the guy has been a good, on his worst day, a good punter, and on his best day, an elite punter. He's always been great on kickoffs, and now he's banging in 50-plus yard field goals in 30-degree uh, weather with the wind in his face. Um, I mean, what can't this guy do? Well, how rare is it to see uh, one player punt, kick off, and do uh, and do the place kicking? Yeah, we got as well. a dog rodeo going on behind us. That's a good description. Yes, Cha- Chauncey, the co-host, is trying to find uh, some other activities today since uh, you are on the mic and he's not. Yeah. Well, uh, and you know he has such confidence place kicking right now. I, I was afraid when we inserted him to, to do the place kicking that that he would he would fail, quite honestly, because uh, I always knew he had a pretty good leg, but man, when he was banging in those long ones into the wind, when he kicks an extra point, man, it is just confidence right down the middle every single time, and I hope I didn't jinx him. No, but, uh, I, well, I, I, I don't... Well, I I say jinxes aren't a real thing, but I sometimes do reverse jinxes on Twitter where I declare the game over in hopes of... in hopes of bringing the team back for victory. People love it when you do that. Oh too. my god! <laughs> I, I I actually revisited uh, the tweet I had at the TCU game, which that wasn't even like a reverse thing. Like when when Will went down, I I was like, all right, it's over. Like that wasn't me trying to reverse it. I revisited some of the tweets, and again, I tweet too much. Uh, if Elon Musk decided to nuke Twitter, it'd probably be good for my mental health, and I'd mm-hmm. be off my phone uh, a little bit more. But man, I, I think that's probably the most hate I've ever gotten for a tweet. In, in everyone else's defense, we were still up, I think, by three yeah. when I tweeted that. Uh, but uh, I think that was maybe the worst received tweet I've ever had in my life. It was insane. 
Um, but, but again, Ty Zentner, he's able to do it all, and he is now doing it at a borderline all-conference level, kicking off punting and on field goals. I said this in one of my group chats, and uh, th- this is not a shot at Chris Kleiman because, again, I, I don't think it's a good thing to depend on one guy to do all three kicking duties. But I think maybe one of the biggest mistakes he's made in his entire tenure is in the post-Blake Lynch era, not going to Ty Zentner from the jump kicking yeah. field goals. Yeah, I would I would agree. I Because I, I just figured he didn't have... Accuracy or yeah, something. Yeah, I, I was gonna. I guess just accuracy because he seems to have a, a big leg. But man, he just—he really. I think he's got a simple approach, and he he swings that leg violently. I mean, just really whips that leg, and he just man just drills it right down the. And as evidenced by the long field goal into the wind. I mean, you've got to you've got to hit it pretty hard, and you've got to hit it true. Yes. And uh, and he did. And he did it twice because they tried to ice him as well. Right. Yeah. And then he turns around after that and then boots it. Well, I think that one he squibbed because that was right before the end of the half. But, I mean, he, he'll kick a field goal and then he'll turn around and boot it to the end zone. So, Ty Zentner, just absolute dog. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's get into the Game Awards, everyone's favorite yeah. times. We're going to give you the honors first, uh, then we'll do the boneheads, then I'll clean it up. So for the first game ball, and for folks who are new to the show, we will award two game balls, typically one for offense, one for defense. You can always substitute in a special teams player. Then we'll have a swagger sticker as well, and also new for this year, the Chauncey Bosco. He's got that dog in him award because Chauncey wanted to give out some awards this year as well. So we'll let you go first for game ball number one. Who do you want it to go to? Well, Ty Zetner has to have a game ball. So I'm going to uh, put in my special teams uh, substitution uh, proxy for Ty Zetner. That is a great one. Again, uh, everyone was talking about how great he was. Uh, we will go next to the offensive game ball from the Boneheads. Seeing a lot of stuff out there, but it looks like Malik Knowles from the Boneheads is going to get the offensive game ball. Again, over 100 yards, two, one touchdown, almost two touchdowns. I think that is a very uh, deserving award. Um, let's go next. What? Who is your second game ball going to be? Well, um I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it to uh, our, our boy, Mott. Uh, I thought he had a monster game. Uh, now, you, you got to give a little bit of credit to his, his mates on the line as well uh, to give him that opportunity, but I'm going to give it to Mott. Yes, um, that was a very popular one amongst all of the Boneheads. The other one that we saw a shout-out for is Julius Brents. So Julius Brents will get the defensive game ball from the Boneheads. Uh, My two game balls, because no one can receive uh, two game balls. You can double up on a swagger sticker. On offense, I'm going to go... I'm going to go with, you know, maybe not baby Gronk because we had a baby Gronk. Shout out to, uh, you know, Gronkowski, uh, which I'll always kind of be mad that Dimmel kept giving his son touchdowns instead of Gronkowski. But you know what? I'm going to leave. I'm going to leave all my, uh, you know, frustrations and uh, of the Snyder era. I'm never going to bring those on this podcast again because, you know, that's the second most hate I've ever gotten on, on, <laughs> on a podcast. But, but, but I, I think that when you have a guy 
who is, and of course, Senate. I, I don't know if I actually said when you have a guy, a fullback slash tight end, going for over 80 yards and another touchdown, he's getting my offensive game ball. And then defensive game ball, I'm going to give it to Sincere Mason for the pick six. Uh, so that that is who is getting the uh, uh, defensive game ball for me. All right, uh, swagger sticker. Who is getting your swagger sticker? Well, I was going to give it to – I thought I was going to give it to Senate. You can uh, give it to Senate. He I, can get a swagger sticker. Yeah. And I would say kind of a, a, a honorable mention would have been Malik Knowles yes. for, for swagger. That That is a good honorable mention. Uh, lots of uh, different uh, nominations, but the one that is coming up most often for swagger sticker is Ty Zentner. So Ty Zentner is going to double up on his awards as well. My swagger sticker is going to go to Malik Knowles again. He he has swagger out there. So again, lots of lots of love for those three guys. Uh, all of them getting game balls and swagger stickers with Ty Zentner, Malik Knowles, Brandon Mott. Um, uh, and Ben Sennett. So then uh, the Chauncey Bosco, he's got that dog in him award, is going to DJ the Blue Jay Giddens. Again, massive touchdown, led the team in rushing, really coming into his own. So Chauncey was whispering to me before we recorded that he wanted that award to go to DJ Giddens, the pride of Junction City High School. So that's all we have. Uh, Big time performances from a handful of guys. Um, since we will not have you on uh, unless you download the Spotify Live app, I think we're actually going to be going live uh, later today. So if folks are listening to this, probably won't be able to do it. So we'll just get you ahead of the schedule. Uh, what is your biggest key to V in the Sunflower Showdown, and do you have a pick to click? What player do you think is going to shine? Um, I think that I think the key to V is uh, take care of the ball, uh, no turnovers or at least win the turnover battle. I think that's if we if we can do that we should be fine. Uh pick to click. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to go with and this has to be somebody that maybe is not a star. Well, it can or, be whatever you want. You can mm-hmm. either go who's going to be the MVP or just maybe a guy that when we're driving home from the game before we get to I70 uh, and we're ignoring what Stan Weber is saying in the post game, we say, "Hey, you know who had a good game?" Yeah. This guy Okay, well, I'm going to go with BB. I think as an offensive lineman, I think he's going to be he's going to shine in yeah. that game. We're, and, going to, and, we're going to say that that man is going to play on Sunday. Yes, and he's a Kansas kid as well, yeah. so he'll have a good one. Mom came over and had a sign asking if we wanted her key to be. No, we do not. Uh, usually, we would let you, but not before this game. Sorry, mom, you're going to have to wait for the mom pod. Um, or maybe we can talk to you later in basketball season. Uh, but that's all we have today. Folks, it's Thanksgiving week. We will still have a show all five days of this week. Uh, make sure to uh, tell your loved ones that you love them. Uh, be thankful. It's also the time of charity. So uh, at least consider giving to a charitable cause you would like during this holiday season. So for my dad, the best man I know, Kevin. For Chauncey, the best dog I know. We love you guys, and go Cats. It's time to get set for the cat attack. You can feel the excitement. You can feel it coming on. For Kansas State, the feeling's growing strong. You can join in the action. This is where you want to be with Kansas State. Come on, set your spirit free. Kansas State, our pride is-
Podcast Network.